You're listening to Understanding Disordered Eating with Rachel Heinemann. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and certified eating disorder specialist. On this weekly podcast, we talk about all things psychoanalysis and eating disorder recovery. It's a combination of interviews with experts in psychoanalysis and eating disorders and some solo episodes where it will just be the two of us. The goal of the podcast is to help you try to understand a little bit more about yourself, gain a deeper understanding for why you do the things you do, and bring you one step closer to a healthier relationship with food and yourself. Hey, 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 episode 114. If you were thinking about how to take some of the things that we talk about in our episodes and actually apply it to your life, but you have no idea where to start, one good place to start is with journaling. Journaling is one of my favorite things to do. It's something that I recommend all the time. It really allows your stream of consciousness to come out, which is obviously our biggest asset. But if you don't even know where to start with that, then I encourage you to head on to my website or down in the show notes to get the link of my free journal prompts. Over there, there's a whole bunch of journal prompts that are going to help you get a little bit closer to starting to understand your relationship with food and yourself. And there are instructions there. So if you really have no idea where to start, it's all there. If it's something that you just wanted as a little bit of something, something, you don't have to look at the instructions. The prompts are there as is really, really helpful. Today, we're talking about medication, specifically psychiatric medication. And I'm talking with just myself and you. So we're not interviewing a psychiatrist or any prescribing provider. It's just my thoughts. And I guess the way that I would categorize it is as maybe a little bit like what I wish as a therapist, psychiatrists knew. And, you know, sort of like fly on the wall situation if you're not a psychiatrist. I do think that this is a really, really important conversation for you as any clinician. If you are working with people who struggle with some sort of mental illness or any sort of anything, I guess we normal people do eating disorders. Or if you yourself have an issue, I mean, like literally all, every single one of you can benefit from this conversation. But I think the point of the conversation, the reason why I wanted to have this episode stuck in there is because lately I've been having a lot of interactions with psychiatrists or prescribing providers, and some interactions are absolutely wonderful. These prescribing providers are what makes me feel really hopeful about the world. And on the other side, I've been having lots of interactions with prescribing providers that make me want to scream. So I just want to preface everything that I'm saying here is A, anecdotal. I'm not backing this up by research, by journals. I'm not bringing you proof for anything. This is me and my personal and professional experience. And I'm also not a prescribing provider. I didn't go to med school. I didn't go to nursing school and then become a psychiatric nurse practitioner, going to nurse practitioner school none of those things. I am a psychotherapist. That is the angle I'm coming from. And I understand that you might have a completely different perspective if you have been trained or you work differently. So just putting that out there, please don't take my word as the word. And then also just in terms of clarifying, when I say prescribing provider, I mean either a psychiatrist, which who is somebody who has gone through medical school and then did a specialty in psychiatry, Or a prescribing provider could be a nurse practitioner, a psychiatric nurse practitioner. So that's somebody who went to nursing school and then they went to school to be a nurse practitioner and then they did a specialty in psychiatry. So they're a psychiatric nurse practitioner. 
And then really any medical doctor can prescribe medications because as an MD, um, maybe a DO, probably a DO, I don't know the specifics of the schooling. Sorry, sorry, doctors, that's offensive. But I think that they can prescribe any medications, although they don't specialize in psychiatry. And so just because somebody is prescribing a psychiatric medication doesn't necessarily make them a psychiatrist. They might just be like an internist. So when I say prescribing provider, I am specifically referring to psychiatrists or psychiatric nurse practitioners. And I hope to God that we are not prescribing any heavy core psychiatric medications as an internist. Again, sorry, internists. I love you guys, but you're not psychiatrists. Oh, and by the way, while we're on that, some people who are really stable on their medications and it is not a medication that needs to be heavily monitored by a psychiatrist might continue to get their prescription filled by their internist or what, what do you call it, uh, the PCP because psychiatrists are very expensive. So I'm not saying that it's a bad thing to do that. I'm just saying when we're talking about trying to figure out the intricacies of psychiatric medication that it gets a little complicated when it's somebody who doesn't specialize in psychiatry. Now, in terms of eating disorders, eating disorders are hard because there aren't really proven medications for to treat eating disorders. Now, obviously, eating disorders don't occur in a vacuum. And so somebody with an eating disorder, basically every time will have some version of depression, anxiety, OCD, fill in the blank. And so there's obviously a lot to work with there when we're trying to prescribe a medication. But specific for an eating disorder, it's not like, oh, this is the line of treatment for an eating disorder. Now, that actually leads me to my next point, which is that coming from the perspective of treating illnesses, medical, physical illnesses, and then applying that science to mental illness gets really complicated. And here's why. When we diagnose a physical illness, there are specific markers within testing that points to an illness. I'm not saying this every single time. There are these rare illnesses or just random illnesses that are sort of like a ruling by absence. So they don't have this, they don't have this, they don't have this, or they have five of the seven of this. And then we sort of think that this is the illness that they have, or we're guessing. But like typically, what is the case that somebody takes a test? So that can be a blood test, an MRI, a CAT scan, any sort of testing, biopsy. And then the numbers come back or the readings come back and then they determine based on these specific markers, this person has the illness. And as the person progresses through treatment, there are specific markers to look out for that point toward improvement. And so when somebody is either, quote, cured from something or recovered, whatever word you want to call it, there are specific markers to mark the difference between illness and health. There are specific markers to mark the difference between beginning and end. Mental illness doesn't have any of that. And I think in terms of trying to recreate that, scientists, researchers have done their best and they try to make whatever sort of specific markers, whether they're questionnaires, ratings, personal report, other people's report, even when we insert neurology into this. So they're trying to put in actual specific markers. Nothing is going to mimic the way that the physical medical illness world works, or we could call it traditional science. Nothing, zero, 
nada. There is nothing to represent mental illness in a way that a medical illness is represented. And so insert medication, there is no way to understand how medication impacts mental illness in the same way that we can apply the science to medical illnesses. That doesn't mean that we don't try to and that we don't have very, very good testing and evidence and pieces of information and science backing up psychiatric medication. It's just not the same. So for example, we can't take a brain MRI and say, oh yeah, this person has an eating disorder. Maybe there are some markers that are similar across cases, but it's not the kind of thing where the imaging itself is going to give you a diagnosis. That's the difference. I think all of this to say is that while science and researchers and doctors have done a really good job at trying to recreate it and doing their best with controlling for things that are not really controllable, for lack of a better way to put it, it does give this sort of background context to science that is a lot more concrete when you're working within this medical background. So when you're thinking about even creating studies, there are specific things you have to control for in studies. So let's say you're talking about placebo versus medication. The thing you control for is the medication, meaning this is the one thing that's different, but every person has a very different iteration of a mental illness. Every person has a different psychology. And so, yes, you can argue that every person has a different internal physical state. Sure, but they're a lot more similar in ways that we couldn't necessarily measure than mental illness. I guess what I'm saying with all of this is that coming from the perspective of somebody who is viewing mental illness that as similar as possible to medical illness, we are going to miss the nuance that is associated with anything that is related to emotions and psychology. Every single person has an intricate, complex way of their mental illness or whatever you want to call it, because that makes people sound like, oh my gosh, mentally ill. No, somebody who struggles with depression or anxiety. Normal people is what I'm saying. There is an intricate and complex way that their quote mental illness is developed and maintained. And it is the kind of thing that we cannot possibly insert a medication in order to fix it completely. And I think that When we come from the perspective of understanding medications and what their limitations are, of course, coming from the understanding that medications can be wildly helpful, which is why so many people are on it. And it is an incredible, absolutely incredible tool. But there are limitations. Understand what can we expect from medication and what can't we expect from medication. Medication is not going to fix anything on its own. Medication and therapy just sort of like stating that, is not going to fix anything on its own. What does the therapy actually look like? What is the relationship with the therapist? How engaged is this person? How motivated is this person? Yes, the medication can provide you sort of like this step stool to get to the place where therapy can be infinitely more helpful. But I love this sort of um, equation that doctors use is medication plus therapy equals change and not really having any understanding of what therapy is and what actually happens in therapy and what needs to be invested in order to make therapy work. I think also there's another thing that's sort of an issue with understanding things from the medical perspective is there are a lot of psychiatrists who are either psychiatrists and neurologists, or they just sort of overlap, which is absolutely fascinating. I can't 
really say that I know the intricacies of it, but even the tiny, tiny, tiny sliver that I know is wildly interesting. It is absolutely fascinating what they have found in terms of the overlap of neurology and, and psychiatry. But I think when we see a psychiatric issue as a purely neurological issue, we have missed completely the nuance. So I was talking to a specific psychiatrist who I think was also a neurologist, and he was explaining how, you know, something like OCD is much more deeply rooted because it's in, what did he say, the basal ganglion, not somewhere else in the brain. And I don't know if I'm even remembering things correctly, but that because it's so deeply rooted, we really have to be very aggressive about it. The second I find out that somebody has OCD, we just really have to target it, like almost like blast it with medication. Whereas something like depression is perhaps in a different part of the brain. And so we have a little bit more leeway, not quote, deeply rooted. And I was thinking, seriously, I mean, I was thinking lots of things, but what? Yes, maybe OCD is associated with a part in the brain that is deeper and harder to access. But if we see that as the only thing that OCD is versus another mental struggle, then we're only going to see this from a medication perspective in terms of how to target the issue. What about why this person is obsessive? Is this Does this person have OCD because they have an eating disorder and because they're not eating and because they're obsessive about food because they're just not mal, because they're malnourished? Does this person have OCD and also lots of other things? And we have to really just like give them a little bit of space to become a little less anxious and depressed and therefore we can try to work with this. I'm not saying not to insert medication for somebody's OCD. I'm just thinking when I was talking to the psychiatrist, wow, you're really seeing the psychiatric issue as neurological and we've missed every bit of nuance that mental illness has because it's not neurological. I mean, partly neurological, sure, but not only. Now to contrast that, I was talking with another psychiatrist who was talking about medication for this particular person. And we were talking about what else is going in this person going on in this person's life. What else might be medically going on, socially going on? What what's their history? What's their family history? How can we put all of these pieces together? And of course, the psychiatrist brought some of the, the medical piece to help us inform the decision that ultimately fell on the patient, fell on the patient what she wanted to do. But a situation like that, where somebody brings their medical expertise to the table. And then we think about what's going on for this person in terms of their eating disorder, in terms of their depression or anxiety. And how can we put all of the pieces together to figure out the best line of treatment? Because when we fall back on, oh, this is your diagnosis. Therefore, this is your prognosis. And therefore, this is your trajectory. This is the intervention. And then here's, let's, you know, let me know when you're recovered. We all know that that's not like that. That's sort of puts people in a position where they're really not seen, they're not understood. And I don't know, maybe somebody really wants to be put in the category of my mental illness is neurological. And that's what makes me feel the most seen. But ultimately, if we don't ask specific questions to, for people to answer about their specific experience, we cannot possibly make the best decisions in terms of their psychiatry, their psychiatric meds that we can possibly make without taking into account everything else. I think this is also, you know, applies to therapy with, you know, putting aside the psych the psychiatric part, this applies to therapy as well in that. And you, you know me, I say this a million times, nuance, 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 curiosity, all that stuff. 
And obviously it's really hard if somebody thinks in a very concrete way, they're just like a math person. They don't understand emotions. It's going to be really, really difficult. But in order to really make therapy effective, we have to think about so many other things besides for what a textbook says will work. You know, if someone says, oh, CBTE is the best way to treat eating disorders, that might be true, but there is a person sitting in front of you who is struggling with an eating disorder. And there is an entire life outside this book that has taught you CBTE that put eating disorder together with manual, fine, but this is person together with therapist. And does that go? Does that eating disorder CBTE match go? Maybe, but not if we don't take into account all of the nuances and the specific details of this person sitting in front of you and the way that you're relating to this person or vice versa. And so I guess the main point here is really, really, really to think about the nuance of how all of these things are interconnected, how one does not equal the other. There is no linear way to understand psychiatry. There is no linear way to understand psychology. There are so many moving pieces. And I understand that it makes it too complex for people to understand. And I understand it makes it potentially too overwhelming, which is why we've created boxes. And, And yes, medications are very, very useful. I'm a big advocate of psych meds. So yes, create as many boxes as possible that are necessary for you to feel like this is understandable and helpful. But at the end of the day, if we create too many boxes and we don't leave any room for you to be curious and for you to explore beyond the boxes, then I think we've done you a disservice. And I think that ends up becoming its own limitation. You made it to the end. Thank you for listening. Every single one of your downloads means so much to me. If this conversation is leaving you wanting more, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. You'll have the opportunity to reply back directly to me over there. Can't wait to see you in your inbox.